Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined for episode 110 by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. On today's April 15th, or 14th edition, I should say, uh, no, 15th, yeah, April 15th edition, as you're listening to this, uh, we will be discussing a number of things. We're going to talk a little bit about the ring ceremony Craig Campbell not going to it, Dustin Pedroia coming back, the performance of the team since we last talked, um, Chris Davis ending uh, his hitless streak versus Porcello, uh, all sorts of different things. But we're going to lead off today, uh, Keaton, by talking about Andrew Benintendi leaving the game after fouling a ball off of his right leg. Uh, thankfully for us, we got some good news, man. Uh, X-ray was negative, just a foot contusion. Oh, that is good news. Uh, and probably even better news is there's a real good chance they're not going to play tomorrow. Uh, so could be back in the lineup, not even miss a beat. Yes. Uh, I would argue that that is bad news because I love the Patriots Day game and I get bummed out when it gets rained out. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it would be good news for Ben and Tendy. Um, but Keats, how are you doing anyway? I haven't asked you yet. We just got right down to business. Yeah, well, we are all business here at Over the Monster, and uh, yeah, I'm doing good. Um, I've had a crazy busy weekend, but it's been good. With, uh, went to a Guster concert last night, and uh, man, they put on a fantastic show. That was the second time that I've seen them, and the last time I saw them was in 2005, so uh, that was quite a while ago. 
So that was it was a blast. That was I a think, good time. I think that's the last time I actually heard uh the name Guster was in 2005, so I wasn't even sure that they were still a thing. Oh yeah, they just released a new album in January. Wow! Wow! Yeah, learn something new every podcast. Oh, yeah. uh, since the last time we had you on, Keaton, uh, we have had the start of a season and it's been disastrous. So we had Patrick on last weekend, um, and uh, things haven't gone well. But I think the worm is starting to turn a little bit here. Uh, we had an amazing start from David Price today on Sunday as we record this podcast, uh, and all of a sudden the Red Sox have won four of their last six and three out of their last four. Um, they're only a half game behind the Yankees right now, uh, so you know things are things are starting to heat up, especially because uh, after this the Red Sox are going to be uh, playing the Yankees after they finish up against the Orioles. And then they're going to be playing against the division-leading uh, Tampa Bay Rays. So we've got two at the Yankees and then uh, three at the Rays. Um, and in New York, we've got Sale and Eovaldi. So maybe those guys can can right the ship and, and get things turned in the right direction. It seems like this is the perfect time for them to uh, start turning it around. Yeah, the ship has started to turn. And as we all assumed, it's started with the starting pitching. Got a great performance out of Erod. Great performance out of Price today. We had uh interesting but very effective performance out of Sale his last time out. And so, wouldn't you know it, when the starters pitch well, they win. Quite an interesting formula for success. Who'd have thunk it? But we got a, a nice string of games up coming against teams that can get. You know, it's still early, but um, you have you know win the series against the Yankees, win the series against Tampa Bay, and then they'll. You know, just be a stone throw away from taking over first in the division, and then that's disastrous start is just completely forgotten. And they've had they had the talent to do that, so it would be nice to uh, see if they can actually put it together and kind of get everyone to forget about it. Yeah, and I think you touched on maybe the most encouraging thing that's happened since we uh, talked last time, uh, or since we even had a podcast last time with Patrick. Um, is that two of the starters, Eddie and uh, David Price, have finally had excellent starts. And um, I want to talk about Price's start today a little bit first. Um, Price did a tremendous job of mixing you know, three different types of fastballs, his two-seam, his cutter, and his four-seam, um, as well as mixing in his change-up today. Um, and he did all just incredibly effectively. He got a lot of swinging strikes, uh, five on his four seam or his two seam, um, five on his change up, four on his cutter. Um, he looked awesome. Velocity was up to 94. He was basically painting all day. Uh, he was able to put the ball wherever he wanted it. And, uh, I just thought that he might have had the best start that we've seen, uh, all season. And he looked in control from the get go. Yeah, absolutely. Only three hits, no walks. Uh, like you said, he had command of everything going on the mound today. He was able to put up a solid seven innings, which was great to kind of save that bullpen a little bit. Uh, so that was great to see and see the velocity was there. Uh, and although probably more of a subtle note, but it was a cold day. And we know that he sometimes has issues on those cold days. And he was very, very effective today. So that's a positive sign. Yeah, yeah, he was sure excellent, so I was very encouraged by that. Um, let's talk about that Eduardo Rodriguez start, though, because I was actually at the game on Friday, and I was pretty nervous uh, about Eduardo Rodriguez um, because he's just looked so bad heading into that start. 
Uh, he came up in the Baltimore system, so I think that he's always a little bit fired up to go against those guys. Um, and he was perfect. Uh, he went out there, and he was much more change-up and slider-heavy in this game. He had excellent command. Uh, he was wiping people out with the change-up, though, pretty much all day. Um, and the nice thing was that when I looked back at his Brooks baseball page after the start, I saw that his release point and his fastball and change-up were pretty much identical. Um, and that led to a lot of the eight strikeouts that we saw there over 6.2 innings pitched. He did give up the two earned runs on that cheapy home run to Smith, um, but he didn't walk anybody. And uh, he also, just like David Price, looked in control from the get-go. Um, so I think those two things happening, even against the Orioles, has to be encouraging for the team. and just has to be a huge lift because the bullpen has had to have so much of the burden of this season on their shoulders to this point. Yeah, and we knew coming into um, this series with the Orioles that the plan was for, uh, I can't remember if it was tomorrow or Tuesday, but one of these next two days to pitch a bullpen game. Yeah, that was uh, for, for tomorrow's game with Velasquez. Yeah, so going in, leading up to tomorrow, any length that the starters could get to save the bullpen for that game so they weren't we didn't have the bullpen pitching on like everybody going on one day's rest (laughs) was going to be great and he went deep was able to save the bullpen and uh again david price today was able to do the same but he gave up three hits but two of them came in the last inning when he got pulled right before the home run and up until that point it was probably the best game that he has ever pitched in a red sox uniform yeah, I mean it's it's definitely it's up there with some of the best ones these pitched. Everything was working, and um, I was talking to Matt uh, over on our Locked On Red Sox podcast about this, and um, the the best thing about it was just how much he was mixing up his pitches because so often Eduardo Rodriguez turns himself into a two pitch pitcher, and when he actually does throw that change up and slider at the same time as his fastball, um, the result is often just like this. Yeah, and it's kind of a ridiculous stat. They mentioned it uh, almost every time that uh, Rodriguez is out there on the mound, but if he can get to six innings pitched, he's something stupid like 15-1, and one, um, which, you know, take pitcher wins for what you will, but he's limiting damage and he's being incredibly effective when he can get deep into games, and when he can get deep into games is when he's using all of his pitches. So whoever is catching him, needs to drill it into his mind use all of your pitches every single time out there and don't get caught up in just throwing one or two because you feel comfortable with it got to keep them off balance yeah and i think that everybody in the red sox organization down to the bat boy probably tells them that so hopefully one of these days it'll start to (laughs) to sink in and just become automatic yeah um on the negative side Throughout this little bit of uh, success that the Red Sox have been having here, um, we have to talk about Mookie Betts, who has just been really bad pretty much all season. Um, you know, he's been bad for Mookie. I guess he's not been bad for everybody. But coming into today's game on Sunday versus the Orioles, uh, he was batting 224, 324, 431 with a 97 WRC+. Uh, he's striking out at 18, a little over 18%, which is more than he ever has. Um, more importantly, he's swinging at fewer pitches in the zone than he ever has, so he's not attacking. And he's actually just swinging less uh, altogether than he ever has by a substantial amount, about four percentage points. 
He's also had a few miscues in the field, no errors, but a couple balls that he misplayed. Um, I was at the game on Friday, as I mentioned, and that catch that he didn't make, I believe it was, I think that was there Friday. Uh, he went back on a ball and just kind of, kind of, he just misjudged it. Um, and they didn't charge him for an error because it was a difficult play, but that's a play that, that he's, he makes, uh, 99% of the time. So, Things have been rough with Mookie, and um, my question for you, Keaton, is what's your level of worry about Mookie uh, on a scale of 1 to 10? Still really low, probably about a 3. There's a lot of numbers around that slash line uh, that still look really good. He's still getting on base. He's walking 12% of the time. Uh, His OBP is uh, 329, which is still pretty, pretty good. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It's he's just not being aggressive in swinging the bat, and we saw what he can do when he does that. He wins the MVP. So I mean, that was the main focus last year, right from the very first pitch of the season, was, hey, Buki, you're going to swing the bat, and he just hasn't done it this year. And I think the biggest example was with runners on against, um, oh shoot. Who was it? Was it Baltimore? I think the first one where he just, he took a 3-1 pitch that was like, that was Toronto. Dotted, a uh, Toronto, yeah, yeah. Dotted right down the middle that should have been in the seats and put the Sox in the lead. And I don't know why he didn't swing at it. Yeah, that was and one was, of the most frustrating sequences we've seen the entire season because in that same at-bat, he took a 97-mile-an-hour fastball down the pipe, and then he took a junk slider and just looked at it. Yep. Yep, that was rough. But when he swings the bat, good things happen. So he just needs to continue to swing the bat. And much like people should be reminding Erod to throw all his pitches. Everybody down at the Bat Boy should be like, hey, Mookie, swing the freaking bat. And good things are going to start to happen. And it's not like it's been, like you said, it's been bad for Mookie, not necessarily bad for your average major leaguer. Uh, but we know things can be a lot better, and things aren't going to get better unless he starts swinging the bat. And I really feel like it's just as simple as that. Yeah, I agree. He's got to start doing it. And, uh, you know, when Mookie is aggressive and when Mookie swings the bat, uh, Mookie wins the MVP. So we have we've seen that. It is proven. Uh, and uh, Mookie, we, we need you, buddy. You got to get got to get back on this thing because the offense, frankly, doesn't look scary without Mookie performing like he can. Right. No, it does not. And he's had I mean, you kind of mentioned um, the one from the other day, but he's had a couple uh, instances in the field where he hasn't communicated with JBJ and balls have dropped. I mean, there was the, the obvious one in the first series with uh, Seattle, but there was another one uh, in the series against Oakland, and those don't necessarily go down as errors, but a lot of mental mistakes early in the season that you wouldn't expect from him, let alone a regular major leaguer, but that stuff is easily corrected, uh, and that coupled with him just starting to swing the bat, and I think he's turned around. Yep, I agree. Um, we have to talk about JBJ as well. Um, JBJ ended up getting the day off today. Uh, I guess he's got some sort of a stomach flu, um, uh, so that's why he didn't start the Sunday game. Uh, however, 
Jackie Bradley Jr. has been just a nightmare this entire season. We've touched on it a few other times, but it's just getting to the point where it's one of those massive, long, cold streaks at this point. He really hasn't done anything the entire season. He's got a weighted runs created plus of negative seven right now. He's completely lost at the plate. His slash line is 149, 196, 170, with an ISO of only 021. Uh, he's also walking less than ever, striking out more than ever, making less contact than ever, and chasing more pitches out of the zone than he's ever done before. Um, that is pretty much the perfect uh, designer cocktail of how to be a terrible major leaguer. Um, so, uh, JBJ, uh, yeah. doing everything wrong right now. Yeah, uh, and just a, a quick primer for those of you that may not uh, be super familiar with WRC+. Plus. It's a metric measuring offensive performance, and uh, 100 is average for the major leagues. So just to put in perspective how much a negative 7 is just in the absolute garbage, he's essentially costing the Red Sox runs at the plate at this point. Like, it's not that he's just below average and he's, like, just terrible. He's a liability at the plate, which we... I've kind of come to expect him not to be a superstar there, but effective. And at this point, he's less than that. And for all the talk about he's put in the work, tweaked his swing, he's coming in with a new approach, new swing, uh, had a really good spring training, so everybody jumped on the bandwagon. And we talked about that last time we were together on this pod. Uh, hasn't worked. It has not worked. He has a grand total of zero barrels on the season and 33 batted balls. That's not good. No. Not even one. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's really bad. And we put up with JBJ, and we love JBJ because he's a gold glover, and he makes plays like he made Friday night. Uh, and I about jumped out of my seat, and my brain exploded when I saw that catch. Um, because it was ridiculous. I mean, he had to go yep. a long way to get that ball. He went to nearly the deepest part of the park, jumped up, and perfectly timed a catch that I don't know how many other people in Major League Baseball can make that catch. Maybe Kiermaier, maybe Adam Engel, maybe, I don't know, one or two other guys. Pilar could be one of them. But, like, almost no one makes that catch. And he went up and did it, and then after the game was just like, yep, just like a Yep, normal catch. Like, no, that's not a normal catch, man. You're a freak. So, I mean, we love him, and we want him to be good, but, man, these cold streaks from JBJ, and we've talked about this before, and it's the reason why I doubted him, and uh, the reason why on this show, uh, is as late as July of last year, I was basically poo-pooing the idea of him ever being anything offensively, and then I ate my words on our first podcast together, and now it looks like I'm an idiot for eating my words about that. So yep. uh, maybe I should just trust my eyes. Yeah, and I don't blame you for wanting to believe because you actually believed so much to the point where you convinced me, and I started to buy in that maybe this was going to be his year. Uh, and now I've, I've quickly reversed on that, but it's, he had, he's going to be in the lineup every day because of his defense, just like you said. And he just, he has to be better than this. And we're not asking a lot for him to hit 230. So that seems like something he should be able to do. And he's, he's gotten worse when he should have gotten a little bit better. So I just, I don't. I don't know what to do with him other than keep 
sending him out there because you absolutely need his defense. But, I mean, maybe use the DH on him. Because, honestly, at this point, like, the collective batting average for pitchers last season was about 70 points higher than what he's doing right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe use the DH for him and let Porcello get some hacks out there. Yeah. Hit another double off Scherzer. It's bad right now. Uh, we have seen him snap out of this in the past, so hopefully he will snap out of this at some time soon. And, and maybe everything that he has learned and the encouraging exit velocity that we saw at the end of last season, there is something to that, and he's just struggling for whatever reason right now. But, uh, you know, we, we hope that he does turn things around. Let's talk about some good news, though, because on the plus side, uh, the great Mitch Moreland uh, leads the team right now with a 172 WRC plus uh, while slugging 702 and batting 277 with five bombs. Uh, again, on Friday, he was the hero with the big home run and then a double. Um, he's basically hit and been the only one consistently hitting the entire <coughs> season. Uh, Mitch has been incredible, and he's dug out some pretty difficult throws uh, in the field. He's just, he's been doing it all. Yeah, he really has. And, uh, this is probably the part where I eat my words, uh, because when we were on the pod together last, I said that I expected, uh, the biggest letdown to be the first base platoon because Whoa. it just seemed like it was set up for that. I agree and, with you though. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that seems to be a mistake. And surprisingly enough, I mean, he, he's only had seven at bats first lefties, but he's got two doubles. So he's actually hitting lefties and righties so far in that the small sample size against lefties. But he has 13 hits, and 10 of them are extra base hits. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's really, really good. Um, Mitch Moreland has been just better than any of us expected him to be. Um, the the big story with Mitch Moreland, though, is always uh, whether or not he can keep this going because as we've seen throughout his career, uh, Mitch Moreland does tend to fade in the second half. He's a career 264 hitter in the first half, a career 236 hitter in the second half, um, and we certainly have seen that in his time with the Red Sox where he's been good enough to be an all-star Um in the first half of the season and then fallen off in a huge way. But, you know, that all isn't really going to matter uh, if in the second half of the season Steve Pierce is more locked in at the plate, fully healthy, and then all these guys that we've been talking about have righted the ship. Um, then average Mitch is just going to be fine for the team. So it really couldn't have come at a better time. Yeah, and honestly, if we end up winning the division by, you know, two games or so, we're going to look back to this first week and be like, Remember that time Mitch Moreland single-handedly won us a couple games in the first week? That's the reason why we won the division. <laughs> yeah. Because no one else was doing any sort of anything except him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just to, to reference those stats, last year he was a 278 hitter in the first half um, with 11 home runs. And in the second half he batted 191 with just four home runs. So he does have a tendency to do that, but like Keith said, we won't care as long as uh, we get where we need to go. Um, we need to talk about yeah. what we saw uh, from Rick Porcello on Saturday um, because this was really bad. Um, he looks so lost out there, and Rick Porcello 
One of my favorite pitchers, uh, and typically a control guy. So, Keaton, I know you did a little bit of research on this. What did you find out as to what the hell's going wrong with Rick? Because it's getting to the point where uh, it's JBJ-like, um, you know, in terms of his, his failure this early going. Yeah. Uh, we'll boil down to a headline. Um, it's essentially his control, and that's leading to just a myriad of issues all across the board from him. He can't locate his slider and his changeup to save his life right now. Both of them have, both of those single pitches have walk rates over 20%, which is atrocious. And his failure to locate those has led to less, uh, pitches chased. Uh, his career percentage, um, right now this season, um, compared to last season, his chase percentage is down 8% and 9% to his career percentage. So people just aren't biting on pitches out of the zone because he's not setting them up to purposely get them out of the zone. He just can't locate anything. Yeah, so people are just spitting on those pitches. They're not even taking a look at him. Right, and then so because of that, they're just sitting on his fastball and they're destroying it. Last season, his fastball had a whiff rate of 26%, and it's down to 15% this year. So... And the to kind of put a bow on it, because he can't locate anything, he's throwing his fastball more than he ever has in his career so far because it's the only thing that he can locate, and people are just sitting on it. So he has to get back to figuring out how to locate his pitches, and kind of the overarching effect on that is uh, his career walk rate is 5%, and so far this season it's 18%. It's three and a half times higher than his career percentage. And basically, if he's known for one thing, I and mean, when we talked about Porcello last, you're like, when he is locating his pitches, he's one of the most effective pitchers in the majors. And you're absolutely right. The only thing is, he can't locate anything right now. And so the only pitch that he has working at his disposal is his fastball, because it's the only thing he can throw for a strike, and people are just waiting on that and launching it. That's not a recipe for success. At all, so he really needs to figure out how to throw all of his pitches for strikes again. Yeah, he really does. Uh, and you know, on Locked On, we talked about this a little bit today, and uh, I just said I think he needs to get back to basics and maybe skip a start and do some bullpen work and work with Daniel Levangi and Brian Bannister to figure out what's exactly going on with his mechanics and his release point and his. You know his his where he, where his foot's landing and all this sort of stuff that just seems super basic to a pitcher who's been doing it in the big leagues for ten years. But clearly something's off if if all of those offerings that he usually has impeccable control on are just not going where he needs them to go. Um, because Rick Porcello is not a guy who can go out there without perfect stuff and still succeed. We know that he's just going to get tattooed if he does that. So um, I'm a, I think I'm the most worried about him. Uh, right now than I am about any of the other pitchers just because he looks so off. Like, at least with Eovaldi, you can see it. Like, you can see why it's happening, but there are so many other things that you're still encouraged by when watching him, whether it's his velocity still being there, you know, individual pitches that are thrown that look good. And then with Chris Sale, like, he's still Chris Sale, so we've seen him succeed even in that weird game where he only struck out one but had six innings with strong baseball but we really haven't seen anything that we can cling to uh, with Porcello in this early going and I don't think we're going to until he figures that out I don't think so either and 
we had talked about him being an anchor for the bullpen or for the uh, rotation because every fifth day you know he's going to go out there and he's going to put in six innings and it'll save your bullpen. Um, you don't have to worry about him missing days or missing starts. He'll get to 200 innings in the season. Um, that might not happen this year. And this, he needs to figure out what's going on. And it, it kind of makes you wonder how much the starters were handled in spring training. Is that having any kind of effect on him where maybe he didn't get ramped up enough and now he's trying to work things out at the major league level, which we've seen many times is, is not a real good template for working things out. But I don't know. Well, to we're that just, point, I think we, we did get a great listener question about exactly what you're talking about, Keats. Uh, Eric Von Handorf asks us, he says, Rob Bradford stated on the WEI radio broadcast of today's game that his film study shows that Porcello's mechanics are very different compared to his better starts in October of 18. Does this suggest that the starter's preparation may have been mismanaged in spring training this season? That's exactly what you just said. Yeah, it is. And it's, I mean, it's definitely worth wondering, um, and it's worth a deeper dive. Um, maybe I'll have to try and do that for, for the next one. Cause I, I don't know if I can answer that off the top of the head now, but it's the struggles for the starters were so widespread. It, like it wasn't isolated to one or two guys, um, that it's definitely seems possible, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think it does. And especially with a guy who's a control artist like that, repetition is everything. You know, you have to – Rick strikes me as the type of guy because of his durability and because of how pinpoint he is. He's the type of guy that pretty much has to be throwing all year uh, to keep things dialed in with his release point and everything. So I think it's just as simple as that. And Rick probably knows his body incredibly well uh, after 10 years in the big leagues. I mean, the guy pretty much skipped the minors and has been a pro – uh, since he was 20 years old. So um, I think if anyone can figure it out, it's him in a couple of side sessions. So I'm not, like, giving up on Porcello for this year uh, for by any means, but I think that um, you can't just continue to throw him out there and hope that he figures it out right now because it's not working. We did get our second uh, listener question uh, about this as well. Robert, whose handle is at Hanging Sinker, asks us, will Rick Porcello's sinker ever stop hanging? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, honestly, uh, I don't think his sinker is all that much of an issue right now. Um, the pitch itself has his highest K rate of all of his pitches, 28%, uh, and a 38% put away. So it's been a rather effective pitch for him. For me, it's his four-seamer that's just been a disaster. But it's because everybody just knows it's coming and waits for it. Yeah, I agree. The uh, That's maybe the only pitch you can say that hasn't been an issue uh, for yeah. him this year. Um, yep. I want to talk about the bullpen a little bit and the bullpen usage because we have uh, had a surprisingly effective bullpen to this point. Um, yeah. It's, it's been encouraging. Um, the bullpen leaders in terms of usage for this team – 
have not been the names you might expect, or maybe you might, considering uh, the struggles of the starters. But Hector Velasquez, Heath Hembry, and Tyler Thornburg have been your leaders in terms of bullpen innings pitch this year. Um, two of those guys have been pretty solid in Velasquez and Hembry. One of them, Tyler Thornburg, has not been very solid. Um, let me just tell you what's been frustrating me about watching Tyler Thornburg here. Um, I was at the game Friday where he came in in, um, what was that? That was the eighth inning, I want to say. And uh, the game at the point was 6-2. to two, And he came in and just got hammered, like pretty much right away with a two-run shot. Um, and I looked into it a little bit more, and, and Thornburg has just been hammering the top of the zone with hard stuff. But when he's in the top of the zone, he's not getting the ball high enough to get guys to actually swing at it. Um, they're actually just hammering it because it's pretty much like chest high, perfect height to drive the ball. Um, his curveball's been great when he actually throws it, but he doesn't throw it very much. But he throws this absolutely dog shit changeup that should not be a pitch that Tyler Thornburg ever goes to. But he throws it, and it's super easy to pick up because it comes out of his hand very differently than his fastball does. And the guy's just getting annihilated on it. So I don't see the point in Tyler Thornburg being in the Major League bullpen at this point. Uh, and it pisses me off that he's gotten the third most amount of innings of anybody in this pen right now. And I, I've frankly, I've seen enough of this guy. So allow me to try and talk you off the ledge. Uh, and let me preface this by saying I'm in no way a Thornburg truther. But there are actually some positive things in his stat line. So first off, his batting average is 214. Batting average against 214, which is actually the second lowest of his career. Uh, lowest was his absolutely stellar 2016 season. So it's the lowest since his best career season. That's a positive. The other positive is it seems like he's still recovering from Tommy John, which as a reliever actually kind of makes sense because he's not throwing as many innings as a starter to get ramped back up. But so far this year... It would be thoracic outlet syndrome for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that was it. But still, he's showing signs of recovery because his four-seamer so far this year is about... 100 RPM faster than it was last season, uh, and his curveball is about 200 RPM faster. So he's showing better results in his spin rate, and he's having more success against the batters that he's been facing. He's had, I'm not going to take anything away from that previous outing. That was terrible. That did not go very well at all. But he's been generally effective when he's been out there. So, I don't feel strongly one way or another about keep sending him out there versus not, but I think a lot of his usage uh, and Hembry and Velasquez's usage has been predicated on uh, circumstance and that ideally we would like to see a lot of Brazier and Barnes, but they haven't been in situations where they've needed but they haven't had very many high leverage situations where those guys would have been used of course so, yeah they don't want to waste those guys when they're losing games right so then we go down the ladder to guys that we're going to use when they're not in high leverage and here we are at thornburg and hembry and um 
Brewer, who just had an absolute meltdown the other night. So I I still wouldn't mind seeing Thornburg get some more run because there are some interesting things in the underlying numbers. Uh, but I still think he's a giant question mark, and I'm not sold on relying on him by any means. Yeah, I I think that you make some good points, especially about the spin rate on those pitches. So maybe the best is yet to come for him. He does have an outlandish home run to fly ball ratio at this point, about 18%. Yeah. Um, it is worth noting, though, that there are a few guys uh, down at Pawtucket right now who are actually having a really good early going. Uh, Henry Mejia, who signed here, has a 142 ERA over 6.1 innings pitched with a 0.63 whip and six strikeouts. So he's been pitching very well down there. Josh Taylor has a 3.18 ERA down there. Um, and then Bobby Pointer, uh, 4.15 ERA so far. He's been a little bit less good. Um, but those are some interesting guys that could be a potential uh, arm. And then if you really wanted to do this, and they probably don't because they don't have a tremendous amount of starting depth uh, in the minor leagues, uh, Mike Schwarren has been awesome so far this season. He's got a 3.18 ERA over two starts, 11.1 innings pitched with 14 strikeouts uh, and just a 106 whip. So Schwarren's been awesome. Um, he is a super slider heavy guy and he is a starter right now. So I don't know if they'd ever want to bring him up in that role. Um, but certainly they have more options than a lot of teams do uh, in the high minors for the bullpen. Yeah, for as mediocre as their relief pitching is at the major league level, it is a position of depth throughout the organization. And there's even some guys at Double A that we've talked about before that um, could jump up if if needed later down the road. So it's if they continue to have struggles in some of these guys, there at least is uh, you know worthy replacements in short order in the minors. Yeah, that's for damn sure. Um, I want to, while we're talking about the minors here, Keaton, I want to uh, also touch on a couple performances that are, are noteworthy down at Pawtucket. And uh, you let me know which one of these is, in your opinion, uh, either more encouraging or more uh, sustainable. So uh, two guys that are, are playing chiefly in the corners, although one of these two guys has gotten a bunch of time at second base lately, uh, Michael Chavis. Uh, through 31 at bats in Pawtucket, uh, is batting 351, uh, 581, uh, or I should say 351 with a 581 slugging percentage in three home runs so far. And Josh Ockamy, who um, I was a little bit suspicious as to whether or not he would take to this level right away. Um, he's through 27 at bats. Uh, he's got three home runs as well, um, but he is. Uh, He's got a 667 slugging percentage, a 459 OBP on the year, uh, and he's batting 259. So I actually flipped that for Chavis. I gave you his OBP. Uh, his batting average is 358. So these guys uh, are just one point away from each other in terms of batting average. Both have three home runs, but Josh Ockamy, almost a 460 OBP right now. Yeah, that one's definitely the most surprising. Um, I would say that I'm more convinced in Chavis in sustaining that. But uh, I agree with you. I wasn't exactly sure how well uh, Akin was going to translate to AAA. 
but it's been great so far, and that's been a, a very pleasant surprise, and I would like to see that continue. Um, for Chavis, I am thrilled that he is playing at second base, and I hope it is not very long before we see him at the major league level. For those that don't know, when Chavis was drafted, he was drafted as a shortstop and then moved to third when he started playing in the minors. So he has experience playing in the middle infield. Uh, his frame is interesting. Definitely wouldn't be able to play shortstop at the major league level anymore, but perfectly serviceable at second base. And so if um, Pedroia doesn't exactly take well to returning and still has issues with his knee, um, that's certainly an option that I would be rather excited about. You know Chavis is my, is my guy, so I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm super encouraged by what we've seen from him as well. Um, we're going to look down one more level. I'm going to name one other hitter who has had a really interesting start to the year. Um, that is Brett Netzer, second baseman for the Portland Sea Dogs. Um, they've been snowed out surprisingly a few times uh, already in this early going. But in the early go, he's got a 320 batting average, 370 OBP, and 400 slugging percentage across 25 at-bats. So Netzer has looked really good Um not surprisingly, Bobby Dahlbeck already has a home run. Uh, and on the pitching side of things, um, nothing incredible happening so far because there's only been really two starts. Um, but Kyle Hart has a whole ton of strikeouts in a only 12 innings. He's got 20 strikeouts. Uh, so that's pretty cool. But, yeah, not a whole lot to report down there because simply they haven't played a lot of baseball. Indeed. Durbin Feltman has four strikeouts in three innings pitch, so that's encouraging. Only one hit. Yep, and uh, Darwinson has a uh, whole bunch of strikeouts. <laughs> Ten <laughs> strikeouts in just five innings pitched. So, yeah, Darwinson's a freak. Uh, so the, the yep. freaks who we expect to do freak things down there are indeed living up to that. So uh, it will be monitoring as these guys get more um, more time down there, but encouraging altogether to see that you know the guys are performing how they're supposed to at the minor league level and guys that can potentially contribute this year in in Feltman and Chavis and a few of the pitchers we mentioned yeah I I've been hammering the Chavis drum for quite a while and I I'm just it feels like we're so close and I was thrilled when they moved him to second because I really didn't know where he was going to play. Mm-hmm. But it felt like he was going to make his debut at some point this year. And I think if he's playing at second and shows that he's competent there, and uh, that's just going to uh, just massively um, up his timeline to the majors, which is only a good thing for the Red Sox. Yeah, that could be a real game changer if he can actually stick at that position and be the future there at the team because uh, Pedroia still has a long way to go until he proves that he is uh, 100% back. It is worth noting that uh, Dustin Pedroia uh, has been getting some substantial uh, playing time since he has come back. He hasn't looked great in that playing time, um, but I think that it's going to be a little bit of a uh, an adjustment period for a 35-year-old guy coming back from a difficult procedure uh, he's already played on the 9th, the 11th, and the 13th, um, and then he played today as well on the 14th. So that's the first time that he's played back-to-back days up at the big leagues. Yeah, it's encouraging. Uh, we'll see how it ha- how it plays out going forward, but I think uh, just having him playing games again is a positive thing for the Red Sox. 
Yeah, never a bad thing when you got Dustin Pedroia in the lineup. Um, all right, so that about does it for the show. Um, if you enjoyed the show, um, please go on and rate and review us. You can do so on iTunes. You can do it on Stitcher. You can do it anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. You can follow uh, Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at Deb Jake, and you can follow the Over Monster account at Over the Monster. Uh, thank you for being with us today, and we will be with you at this same time next week. Thanks, Keats. <laughs>